0: Let's pray together. Father, I, I would pray that all that we might do might lead us to hide away in the love of Jesus. Father, we God have have no strength and no righteousness of our own to claim by your at your throne. Father, we are are filled with troubles and trials and difficulties in our life, and so Father would pray that in all we do. God, may we seek You. Thank You for Christ who uh, alone is our righteousness. God, who, who alone is our joy. Who alone we can find help with. I, I pray just even the, the themes of our songs just today would God, would, would come deep within us. God, that, that Christ should be our vision. That we would forever lean on His everlasting arms. Father, that we would... God. Think and anticipate of that glorious day when He will return. And that until that day, may we we just hide in You. Guilty saints though we are, as the Reformers cried out, as they said, that we are are sinners and yet justified. Sinners and yet forgiven. We are are forgiven saints through the blood of Jesus. And I pray that we would never lose that. Never lose that heart. I I pray also, just as we open Your Word, This morning, God, that you would uh, be with us, that you would open up to us the words of Psalm 3. Uh, I I just think as um, I have looked at it this week and have been stirred afresh and excited and enthused about it, I I pray, Lord, that it would be the words of Psalm 3 that would help us this morning, not the words of a preacher. God, we long constantly just to be upheld. And uh, sustained and strengthened by your word. So help me, God, as, uh, as I open these words. God, to uh, communicate clearly that, that that your word would be our, our joy. It's God, what we have, we have your word and we have each other. I would pray that you would, God, help us in these times. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't done so, I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 3. It's going to be our text this morning. We we're Psalm 2 last week will be Psalm 4 next week as we just begin to work our way through the Psalter. We're not going to go all the way through the Psalter, <clears> though <throat> no, that would be a great, a great thing. Uh, but we will, from time to time, come back to the Psalms. The Psalms are constantly bringing up the same themes. And one of the, the biggest themes that Psalms brings up is this whole psalm about I'm in trouble, help, Lord, get me out of here sort of theme. And that's the theme that we see uh, again today. And it is one of the things also you, you ought to appreciate about the Bible is that it, uh, it, it deals with the realities of life in a straightforward way. It doesn't try to hide life. It's not a, it's not a book of pious platitudes. It says everything is okay and, and everything is good and let's just live in this nirvana, this Pollyannish nirvana. No, but it presents people as sinful. E- even the heroes of the faith, Abraham, David. These are sinful men. It presents people as sinful. It presents problems as real. And it presents, prepares us for life in the real world. And, and this morning, we're going to look at someone in, in trouble. And at one time or another, all of us will be in trouble. Whether it's small trouble or big trouble, you'll all be in trouble. You'll all face conflicts. You'll all face hardships. Job says, Job 5, 7, man is born for trouble; as sparks fly upward. Avon uh, and I, by God's grace, celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary this week. I, I'm not sure we really celebrated it. <laughs> we're trying. Um, just, we're so busy with people in the church. It's hard to find time to get away. We'll do that in California. We go on vacation. We'll find, find some time there. I remember a, a guy commenting, though, upon his parents who were married for 50 years. And he says, you can't be married 50 years without facing a lot of little problems and several big problems in your life and in your marriage. And we faced our, our fair share of little problems. We faced our few big problems as well. And God's been gracious and all that. But we all will face problems and troubles and trials. And the question that comes, this really is the question that Psalm 3 teaches us this morning, is how are you going to respond When when those trials come, are you going to trust the Lord through those times? Are you going to stay true to the Lord or will you doubt his ways? Or, Or maybe even come to a point of of rebellion against him? Thinking maybe that such trouble is not worth it following Christ because following Christ brings with it some troubles. As you seek to walk righteously in a world that is unrighteous, when you seek to go this way upstream and the stream is flowing this way, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have trials. So just claiming the name of Christ and following Him, and and the question when you come into these troubles is is it is it worth it? Are you going to follow? Well, we see David facing some troubles, finding some conflict, finding some hardship, and he finds his refuge, his safety, his security in the Lord alone. I've been telling my message this morning, Safety and Security in Times of Trouble. Because that's exactly what this psalm is talking about. It's it's written by David, who is facing some troubles. You can see it right there, even in the superscription, Psalm 3, it says, A Psalm of David. It's one of the, I think it's 73 Psalms of all the scripture written by David explicitly. It's about half of our, of our Psalter. This is written by David. This tells us also some historical background about when he wrote this psalm. He wrote it when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, maybe he wrote it about his time when he fled from Absalom, his son. It, it, it concerns that when exactly he wrote it down, it may have been after the fact a little bit. But it may have been probably it was composed. It does represent clearly his thoughts about fleeing from Absalom and how he trusted the Lord. In fact, if, if you would have time, we could go back to 2 Samuel 15, 16, 17, 18 and read about this whole experience about Absalom and how he conspired against David to become king in his place. And it happened like this. David's king in the palace in, in uh, Jerusalem. And Absalom was out by the gate where the people are. And when people entered the city, Absalom would speak to them and would plant discontent in their hearts toward, toward David. He says, well, if I was king, it'd be better. Isn't that what every politician does, right? If I were king, it'd be better. And then they become king and it's not really better. But it helps, it works on the people. And we read in 2 Samuel 15, 6, that Absalom stole away the hearts of the people of Israel. He, he like got their hearts and captured them to be on his side. All the while, David's in his palace. Ruling And reigning, and when the time was right, Absalom went to Hebron, which is about 20 miles south of Jerusalem, and he planned his coup. He sent spies throughout all the land of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom is king in Hebron. And soon afterwards, the plan went into effect. The trumpet sounded. They said, Absalom is king in Hebron and Jerusalem as well. Then went with Absalom in revolt against David. And a messenger came to David and said, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And so with his life in danger, literally his life in danger, David fled the city of Jerusalem in a very humbling way. Here was a deposed king, not beaten in an election, but overthrown in a coup. And it says in 2 Samuel 15, 30 that David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives. Now you got Jerusalem, and then and then down the Kidron Valley and up the Mount of Olives, probably a distance of maybe less than half a mile, maybe three-eighths of a mile, something like that. He's going down, going up. He's heading east into the wilderness. He's walking up the Mount of Olives, and he wept as he went. Tears are flowing down his, his eyes because he was deposed. And his head was covered. And he was walking barefoot. He didn't have to walk barefoot because he forgot his shoes. He walked barefoot in humiliation. It's just he had his head covered and was down. And, and, And it wasn't only just David who was like that. All of his loyal supporters who walked along with him also went covering their heads and weeping as they went. Their beloved king had been deposed by Absalom. The wicked son who had conspired against him. And so David went east into the wilderness. When you think wilderness, think uh, Arizonian desert. So I want you to think it's a, it's a barren place, but maybe an Arizonian desert with a lot of a lot of hills and caves and crags to, to hide in. But he would would go and hide in a cave and regroup with his loyal friends and figure out what's the next step, what's going to happen. And Absalom, on the other hand, would come in, get in the palace Right. Would gather his people, mount his charge, head after him, seeking the life of David, that the kingdom may be his. That's the context. And David wrote these words. I I trust you'll see that David's problems were pretty big. And one of the encouraging things is when you see people with problems and their problems are bigger than your problems. Isn't it somewhat encouraging to, to kind of say, oh, yeah, I got this problem. But then you look at someone else, and you see they've got problems bigger than yours and they've overcome them. And they say, if if their problem is bigger than ours and mine, and they overcome them, well, maybe there's hope in me overcoming mine as well. And that's that's what Psalm 3 teaches us. David fleeing for his life because his son. Here's family problems. Here, here is uh, physical just problems, danger, and it's about as as bad as it can get. And here's what David does. He says he finds his trust in the Lord. He says, Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain, Selah. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. Now, before we dig into this song, psalm, there was a word there that I said, children, that maybe, maybe was a little familiar, unfamiliar to you. Did you catch that word? And he gives, Ethan, did you get that word? No, Emily, did you catch that word? Gage, I know you did. No? No? Help me, parents. Selah. Selah. We don't know exactly how to say it. We don't know exactly what it means. In fact, this is the first time in all the Bible that the word Selah selah is used. It's used in the Psalms frequently. It's also used in Habakkuk chapter 3, which is kind of a psalm as well. It's the only time it's ever used. And uh, people have tried to figure out what it means. There's lots of different things and what it means but it's probably this it probably is maybe some kind of musical note to the the choir director or to the musician uh, because you'll see this but it's probably some kind of crescendo or some kind of pause or some kind of interlude Uh, i do think when you see that word you can basically say let's stop and think about it as i read it i tried to stop and pause after each of the silas As a result, also, I believe the best way to outline this psalm is really in three parts after each of the Selahs. Let's read one and then think about that and read another one. The first one is verses 1 and 2 is my first point. Verses 3 and 4 is my second point. And verses 5 through 8 is my last point. Though really, in some some regards, thematically, it's really two parts because verses 1 and 2 speak about the trouble. And then verses 3 through 8 speak about David's response to the trouble. But for the sake of the Selahs, I've tried to tried to pull in three points here, but you'll see that my points two and three are much the same. So here we go. First point. My first point is simply this trouble. Red already described a bit of the historical background of the psalm in which Absalom revolted against David, set himself up as king in Jerusalem. David is now running for his life. He's overwhelmed by the greatness of his problems. And I don't know what problems you have today. I know what problems some of you have today. I don't know all the problems that you have today. But there are sometimes we can just be overwhelmed with them, and what David said is just overwhelmed. Said, "Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased! Many are rising up against me." A ruler or leader always has some adversaries. And David, David knew that anybody in a position of leadership will always have adversaries. But what the problem with David is that these adversaries had increased. And and, and and look what he did. His response was simply to pray that to the Lord. It's the first response. David knew basically in this expression that his his problems were too big for himself. And, and so he brings it to the Lord and just says, how my adversaries have increased. And you can equally do that in your troubles. If you have troubles with your children, oh Lord, my, how my children have rebelled. Or, or say you're dealing with some problems. I, I know some the, the Guskies with just an aging mom. Oh, 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 Lord, how how difficult understanding medical care is, and all of this. Some of you have, have medical issues. Oh Lord, how the pain is increased. Maybe that's how you're going to cry here this morning, but but I would encourage you when you're facing troubles in life, do what David did and merely express yourself to the Lord and say, say, Lord, here's my problem. Paul's exhortation to us that we pray without ceasing. That's what David is doing. In fact, I think he's praying in the moment of his trial. His life was in shambles. Things weren't resolved. He's going up the hill, the Mount of Olives, over that to the desert, saying, Oh, Lord, my adversaries have increased. As he's struggling with that, I, th- I think he didn't even know if he'd return to Jerusalem alive. But he was praying. And I'll say that should be our pattern as well. Just, just as troubles come in your life and there are burdens on your heart and your soul, just... Just pray them to the Lord like David did. Now, it's interesting here that David doesn't tell God anything that God didn't know first. He simply brings to God what's on his heart. He says, oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. God knows full well that Absalom had stolen away the hearts of those in Jerusalem. God knows full well how Absalom did that. God knows full well that David's foes are many. And he knows full well that his His foes are increasing and that they are against him. God even knows exactly how many foes are against him. In verse 6, David's going to speak about tens of thousands, all Jerusalem and all of David's enemies. And David's in this mess of trouble. He just knows all this. God knows everything about all your problems. Make matters worse, though. Not only do these adversaries increase, but then they started taunting him. Look at verse two, he says, many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. Now, throughout the entire kingship of David, he made his faith in the Lord clearly known. This was like a hallmark of his kingship was faith, right? He rose to prominence as a young man when Goliath came. The armies of the Philistines were fighting the Israelites. David deleted Goliath, but he did so in such a way that gave praise to God. And so it was clear that he defeated him by faith. He said, 1 Samuel 17 The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Just saying that God delivered me in the past. God's going to deliver me in the future. And when you see the salvation, know that God is the one. I'm placing my faith in God who's worthy to be trusted. And that was David and Goliath. And once David became king, he began to seek the Lord regarding his military battle. Second Samuel 619. David inquired of the Lord saying this. He's praying. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you, O Lord, give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up. For I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. So David went up and when he conquered it. He said, it's clear that it was the Lord who gave them into our hand. And then when he raised all the money for the, the building of the temple, of course, he, he prayed. Just blessed are you, O Lord and our God. Forever and ever, yours is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and the victory, and the majesty. Indeed, everything that's in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. First, First Chronicles twenty-nine. He just he lifted God up high. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. He he would credit his position and, and his successes to the Lord, but now things are different. Once David trusted the Lord new victory. But for some reason, his trust in the Lord was seemingly of no help at all. He was not gaining any upper hand. In fact, he lost. He was not winning the war. In fact, he was losing. The son had just taken over the kingdom. Now he's on, on the run being hunted by his son. Their enemies of the Lord have seized the day by mocking him. Oh, there's no deliverance for him now. And as you genuinely follow Christ, you may face such mockings in your life. I know I've faced such mockings when people have, "Oh, you're a Christian. What well, isn't this supposed to happen to this, or why not that?" And just kind of tying your 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 faith. As the more you make that known, by the way, the more then people have reason to attack. And David says, "Oh, the victory is the Lord." Well, you're losing, David. Well, God's not delivering you now. Where's your God now? Can't help but to think about Jesus. You sound just like what was spoken to Jesus. The day of his distress upon the cross. In fact, one and two speak about Jesus. How my adversaries have increased. Jesus went about doing good. And what happened is adversaries came up. And eventually, even more, those that praised him on Palm Sunday, the crowds were were swelling up. Crucify him, crucify him. That means that, that he had some antagonistic, just the Pharisees. And then by the end of the week, it was not only the Pharisees, but the whole crowd was saying, crucify him. How my adversaries have increased. And then upon the cross, you remember he stressed out there, his enemies are below watching him die. I read from Matthew 27 and those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. Yeah, Jesus, look at you. And then saying, who are you going to destroy this temple, rebuild it in three days? Save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priest also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he delights in him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Jesus on the cross. The robbers are insulting him. The chief priests, describes the, the Pharisees. The rulers are insulting him and the people are insulting him. And they're saying, "Ah, well, look at you, right? You can't save yourself. Jesus is being mocked. And I would say that in some regards that hurt bad perhaps as much as the physical pain of just, just people mocking the Lord. And David, I think, this whole, whole cursing in the ancient Near Eastern culture of shame, this would have sunk deep into their hearts. And this is nothing more than what we looked at last week when we were in Psalm chapter 2, about verse 2, right? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the anointed, right? They, they take their stand against God. They take their stand against Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, which, by the way, also David was the anointed one, right? Because he was the king in Israel and just just taking their stand against the anointed. And here it comes taking their stand out there, mocking David and mocking Jesus was just how that hostility expressed itself. And by the way, there's there's this great application here, because Jesus is our great high priest. He experienced this mocking and so as you experience this mocking in your life for saying, I'm a follower of Christ and people don't like that and they hate that, you just throw yourself upon the high priest and say, Jesus, I know that you were mocked. I know I'm feeling the same way. Can you come and help me? Will you be, have sympathy on me? Can you, can you help me? You can read about that in Hebrews 4, 4-16. through 16. Since he himself is tempted and that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Hebrews 2.18. Well, there's the trouble, sets up everything, and now we see how a godly man responds to trouble. First of all, he find safety in God. This is my, my second point, safety, verses 3 and 4. He says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I use safety here because of this shield imagery. If you look in verse 3, it says shield. You're a shield about me. They describe how God will cover and protect his people. And this imagery goes way back, I believe, to the, the point of Abraham, who lived a thousand years before David. Abraham was 2000 BC. David was 1000 BC. Of course, Jesus came at BC AD, right? Abraham 2000, David 1000. And the Lord said to Abram, do not fear I'm a shield to you. Do not fear. I'm a shield to you. And so likewise, David, when he could have feared all these enemies, he didn't fear. Rather, he knew that God was a shield to him. He is our protection. Or as I said, God is our safety. Now, also, when David says he's a shield about me, don't don't think about that little Captain Marvel, you know, circular shield, the garbage can kind of shield That, that that's not what God is describing himself to be in fact when when david talks about a shield i'm not even sure this is a a, a battle imagery re- regarding because he's talking about a shield all around him now if you have a shield all around you that you're not very good for battle but he is yes what he's talking about that's what this word is he's talking about like entire body armor is who god is a shield wrapped around your whole body in other words when god's on your side there's no place where the enemy can have a successful attack and the arrows may fly and the, the swords may strike, but upon God's shield the blows are blunted. The attack will never prove fatal because God will protect us from this. Yes, they'll hurt, right? If you've got a shield the body and someone takes a sword and whacks you on the shield, you know you might get hurt. A bulletproof vest hurts when you get hit by a bullet. So I hear. So I think. But it's not going to penetrate. It's not going to kill you. It's just going to stun you a little bit, but you'll be okay. And that's the idea here. He is He is a shield about you. And David, confident of this, though he was on the run, out in the wilderness, he found his safety and security wrapped in the shield of God. And I just say, what a good word for us. When, when your trouble comes, find safety in the Lord. Whatever your trouble is, just think about this. Okay, I've got this trouble in my life, but I've got this shield by faith. I've got this shield of protection around me where God is going to keep me safe. Notice the second phrase, though, verse 3. Not only just he shields you, but he, he helps you and he lifts you up. He calls God my glory and the one who lifts my head. Now I've already described a little bit of the time when David was leaving Jerusalem, how, how low a time it was, he was facing the discouragement of having a son, having operated, a, orchestrated a, a military coup against him and he was cursed to his face. But maybe you remember the scene in 2 Samuel 16 about this guy named Shimei. When David and his men were were walking out, there's this man of the the house of Saul uh, who who found out that David was leaving Jerusalem. And he came out against David, 2 Samuel 16, 5 says, cursing him continually. And this is what he said to David. David. Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you're a man of bloodshed. Throwing rocks at him, cursing him as he goes out. And one of, one of David's mighty men played queen of hearts. He said, off with his head! And when David heard that, or in fact, here's what he said. He said, why should this dead dog curse the Lord, my king? Let's take his head off. David was so dejected that he told him not to. David said this, 2 Samuel 16, 11 and 12. Behold, my son who came out from me seeks my life. How much more this Benjamite talking about Shimei? Let him alone and let him curse for the Lord has told him. Perhaps the Lord will look on my affliction and return good to me instead of his cursing this day. See, because David knew that he deserved everything he was getting. And, and I guess, you know, there's a point there about David's humility. Just he, he knew that the curses from Shimei were a result of, of his sin. You, you remember the whole story of David as a man after God's own heart and yet sinned with Bathsheba and had Bathsheba's husband Uriah killed and took Uriah. For his wife and God promised then after God's after David's repentance, he said, you know, there's still consequences to your sin. Here's what the Lord said to David, 2 Samuel 12, 9 and 10. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. And have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. In other words, right? what's happening now, the sword is coming to your family. Where where Absalom is, is taking the sword against you, David, because you took the sword against Uriah the Hittite. Leaving Jerusalem was a sorrowful time. He was weeping, had his head covered, barefoot. It's a, it's a sign of humiliation. He, he just the posture. We don't know what his posture was, right? The the Bible's a book, not a movie. But he's certainly, with his head covered, he slouched over. You know, so you could see, see shimmy, you know, so it's not. But, but he's, he's probably got his head down. But what does he say? If I'm going to lift my head, it's going to be the Lord who lifts my head. But you, O oh Lord, are my glory. And the one who lifts my head. And the Lord would be the one to lift his head. And so application here, if troubles get you down, you're facing times of depression and despair because of your trouble. Maybe your countenance has fallen because of your pain. Your head is hanging in shame because of your sin. I say, look, just cry to the Lord and trust that he will lift your head. And I think lifting his head would probably be to take that that covering off his head and and lift it up and be able to face life and be able to face your trials, knowing that God is is the one to whom you glory and he can remove the pain of your circumstances. He can help you overcome the shame of, of your sin. You can rest safely in him. That's the whole point, resting safely in God here, verses 3 and 4. So I just say, glory in the Lord, trust Him, seek Him, just as David did. And then we see here in verse 4, he says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and He answered me from His holy mountain. Psalm 3 records a tremendously painful time in David's life. Life crumbling all around him. He was crying to the Lord. Now that probably involves tears. It probably involves agony. That probably involves volume. It probably involves passion. This is not some dispassionate prayer. Maybe prayed before mealtime in a house. Just okay. Well, now's our mealtime. Let's just pray together. This isn't some religious sermon, it was religious ritual of liturgy gone and gone through. This was a passionate prayer of pain where David on the Mount of Olives, just weeping and, and pouring out his whole heart to God. I was crying to the Lord with my voice. Oh, Lord, how my adversaries have increased. And then we have the promise here. He answered me from his holy mountain. <laughs> He's going up the Mount of Olives. Where's God's holy mountain? It's back there in Jerusalem that he just left Mount Mount Moriah. Where the temple stood would stand, where the tabernacle was, where the temple would stand someday. It's a reference to Zion, the the place he left, where God dwells, God's coming and answering. Now, what's interesting here in verse four, we don't know what he was praying. We don't even know exactly when things were answered. So that's why some might say, well, this is written after the fact to kind of describe the whole the whole of David's leaving Absalom experience and kind of describing everything that God answered and he saved him, he protected. But we don't know. But it does have the principle that you cry to the Lord, God will answer you. And I trust that some of his answer, though, comes in verses five through eight. It's my third point. I'm just calling it security. It's much like safety, safety, security we we'll even see salvation come up here. Some S's for those who like alliterations. But verse 5, look at what he says. I think this is the an answer to his prayer. He says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. Now I just say that sleeping is a sign of peace. Sleeping is a sign of peace. When you're facing trouble in your life, how easy is it for sleep to escape your grip? Financial difficulties come into your life. And you can't sleep because you're worried about whether there's going to be enough money at the end of the month. So you're thinking about, well, ways to maybe get, get more or help or it just floods your mind. Or maybe problems in your marriage. And you say, well, is my spouse going to return? What's going to happen with our marriage? How's it going to deal with this? There's so much conflict now in our marriage. We gotta It'll keep you awake at night. Or problems with your children. Your children begin to show signs of rebellion. They're they're disobedient to the Lord. They don't love Christ. And they start going their way. And you can lose sleep over that. Or maybe some disaster strikes your home. And you can't sleep thinking about, can this home be repaired? What about the flooding? Oh, the work that flooding is. The stink that's going to come about. I've got to clean this thing out. Can, Can I do that all? Or maybe some illness comes in your home. What is my child going to survive this accident had with some ATV? What about some disease? Am I child going to survive my spouse, some illness? Am I going to survive it? And, and you can lose sleep over that or maybe things at work are so hard and stressful. You can't sleep. Am I going to have a job tomorrow? And so you think about that and you lose sleep. Some crucial event in your life takes place. Maybe you're being sued by somebody. You come to court. What's the judge going to decide? How's that going to go? And you, you're just consumed in your mind with that. Or you're planning some big event. Some lots on your plate. You've got all this stuff to plan. And so you got all this running through your mind. You're so worried about it. Is it going to pull off? And so you, you can't sleep. Or some uncertainty about the future. Isn't that how life works? You experience some of that? I know I have. Times of anxiety. There's times when sleep's hard to come by because our mind is anxious. That was not the case with David. Verse 5, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. There it is, security. I, I, I'm safe in God. David certainly had lots of things to worry about. Unplanned events in his life. He, he was spending that first evening, an unplanned evening in the wilderness. He wasn't planning on going on a camping trip that night. Soon facing an unknown future. Soon he'll be hunted by Absalom's army as a fugitive. He'll be facing the prospect of war. He may die in battle tomorrow. His son may die in battle tomorrow. And through it all, David says, I can sleep. Now, there are some who find sleep such a problem that they take pills to go to sleep. Because they can't sleep. So much anxiety, so much that they just every night just kind of take their pills so they can get to sleep. Well, David's sleeping pill was trust in the Lord. I woke, I lay down, slept, I woke, the Lord sustains me. He He didn't have to worry about all these things, as Jesus says, right? Don't worry about today, tomorrow will take care of itself. Proverbs 3.24 promises sweet sleep to those who trust in the Lord. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Talking there in the context of Proverbs 3, it just speaks about those trusting in the Lord. And this psalm, I say, by the way, is an encouragement in the sleepless nights of our souls to cast our cares upon the Lord who cares for us and sleep in security, knowing that he's concerned and he watches over us. I mean, you couple of this with Psalm 139 that says that David, he knows of us, that God knows the days that were ordained for us when as yet there was even one of them. We are immortal until the day that God determines we die. And David knew that even though he's running from Absalom, he's immortal until the day God says he's done. Why worry about that? I had a baseball coach in college. And baseball season right, in colleges, April and May, and bad weather and raining, and he used to constantly say this. He says, uh, "You know, I don't look at the weather forecast because I, I don't worry about the things I can't control." And so we get out there, and is it raining? Okay, you can't play. Is it clear? We can play. I mean, it's just as simple as that, right? Where you go, oh, what's the forecast, and how's all this coming in? It just he didn't he didn't worry about, it. didn't lose sleep over the, the potential rain. And so, likewise, David here is not concerned about the dangers of of Absalom. And I'm reminded of Peter and his experience in Acts chapter 12. King Herod was against the church. He began laying hands upon the leaders of the church. He laid hands upon James, cut his head off, and the people, right, the Jews loved that. And so he, since he gained approval of that, he proceeded to arrest Peter, put Peter in prison. And right? I presumably going to do the same thing. He he guarded him with four squads of soldiers. He was going to put Peter to death, and and. Acts chapter 12 verse 5 says prayer was being made fervently for him by the church of God, and on the very night which Peter was to come and stand before Herod, possibly lose his his head, Peter was sleeping, and it took an angel to arouse him from his sleep. I think that's extraordinary. Uh, I, I tried looking up death row inmates on the internet. Google's amazing, but I tried looking this up, but. What do death row inmates do on their last day? Do they sleep or not? I did find one guy who slept, and I think it was probably like unusual, but I think most people probably stay up wide awake. If you knew that your time was 8 o'clock in the morning, next morning, I think you might stay awake too. But Peter slept because God gave Peter sleep. And I believe here, God gave David sleep. In fact, we're going to see sleep come up next week as well. Look at Psalm 4, verse 8. In peace... I will both lie down and sleep. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. There is safety, security. When we're safe in God, we're trusting in Him with all His ways. We can rest secure. We can sleep. And look at the danger. The potential is against Him. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves up round about me. David was secure in God, even if thousands of warriors were come to get him, who set themselves with their heart. We need to get King David. We need to get him. Let's just get him. Don't worry about his armies. Don't worry. Let's get David. Tens of thousands. In fact, David's estimate here was correct. Just thousands of thousands. His estimate was correct. And in Second Samuel. Again, verse 17, you can see in the narrative that David didn't even know this, but he's out and Absalom is scheming and planning and he gets initially 12,000 armed men to go after David that first night. 12,000. David's out in the wilderness, he says, even if tens of thousands, even thousands of thousands are coming. So he didn't know, but he's astute enough to realize how big Jerusalem is and how big Absalom's following is. He guessed Pretty well. And by the end of the conflict, though, at least 20,000 in pursuit of David were in pursuit of David. They all died in battle. Second, Samuel 18, verse seven. That's the size of this battle. 20,000 people he's dealing with. But David wasn't afraid. He found his security in God. And Psalm three is a testimony of his experience. In fact, I thought about describing this A, a testimony of one who found the safety, security in God during a time of trouble. Kind of a fuller, a puritanic title, if you will. Now, it's not to say that David simply sat back and played passive. This isn't um, fatalistic. Oh, let go. Like, Okay, I'm just trusting God. Walk out there in Absalom's army and get killed. No, no, no. This is not a call to do nothing but passively trust the Lord. That's not trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord is, is professing your belief, pressing, pressing your faith, and then acting upon it. In fact, you read the historical account again in Second Samuel. You can go back and just read Second Samuel 15 through 18. You'll You'll read of all this stuff. And there's lots I'm leaving out in this historical context here. But you find that David hides in a well when Absalom's sons are coming to get him. So, in fact, it's interesting. You read that narrative and there's a well and Absalom's people are getting in. Remember, Saddam Hussein was hidden under this thing. There's a well and then a mat placed over the well and some green kind of pushed on the mat like, oh, nothing's happening. Oh, hi. nope, David's not here. I don't know where David is, you know, and then he, they got up out of the well where the water was. He was hiding he didn't just say, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm trusting the Lord. Uh, you'll find David and his men march to strategic positions to take up battle. David wasn't going to take up a battle in a bad position. He was going to be strategic on high ground. Furthermore, you'll find David sets forth his battle plans in 2 Samuel 18, 1 through 5. He figures out, okay, he sets up his armies of thousands. He gets the people here. It says, here's how we're going to attack when these guys come. And David's men fight against the followers of Absalom. 20,000 die in one day or through the through the battle. I'm not sure if it was one day or not. But passive trust is never the call of the Bible. The Bible calls us to trust the Lord and act decisively. That's what David does. What David always does. What God's people always do. Trust the Lord, act decisively, and lean on Him for the results. So I think Esther, when when Haman's plot to kill all the Jews was made known to her, She told Mordecai to assemble all the people to seek the Lord by fasting for three days. She said, me and my maidens, we will fast for three days as well. And then I will go into the king, she says, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Just meaning that I'll come. I'm going to give it to the Lord, but I'm going to I'm going to trust the Lord. And then I'm going to act and trust him for the outcome. So Joab did on the battlefield. This is early days of, of David's reign. He said to the men, when they, after he gathered them for battle, this is like the, the general pep talk. He said, Be strong and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. Right? Let's be courageous. Let's trust in the Lord that God might do what he has in his sight. So they fought while trusting the Lord. Now, in these cases, God gave them the victory. And that's exactly what David is looking for here in verse seven. He's looking for victory, In fact, he's praying for victory. He's trusting Lord He says arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek and you have shattered the teeth of the wicked. He's praying for deliverance. He's praying for salvation. He's praying for defeat of the enemies. And, and, and maybe, by the way, verse seven is the substance for which he prayed for in verse four. I was crying to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy mountain. Maybe this was His cry. We don't know for sure, but it certainly fits. It's a passionate prayer. We see an answer given. God saved me, and He was answered because God smote these people on the cheek and shattered the wicked. I mean, what else would David be praying for but victory from the Lord? Now, some will question this type of prayer that David prays here. They say, "Oh, can you really pray that?" And I just say, "Okay, put yourself in David's situation." Here people come and, and trying to, to capture him. They're trying to beat him. And, God, and he says, God, vengeance is yours. You repay. You smite them on the cheek. You shatter their teeth. And think about this also. David believed in the justice of God. And the justice of God says this. is that God will establish his righteousness in, in his rule, in his reign. And to believe in a just and righteous God is to believe in a God who punishes wicked. The wickedness of people. And to believe in a God of justice and a God of righteousness is is not only to hope and long for God to destroy wicked people and to punish wickedness, but is to pray for God's vengeance upon all those who would stand opposed to the Lord. So, these precatory uh, prayers in the Bible that speak about killing people and destroying people, it it really is an expression God, I believe your justice, and these people are wicked and sinning against you. God, do your thing and establish your justice that the fame of your name may be proclaimed among all the nations. So, I don't think that's such a bad prayer to pray. And and clearly, Absalom's Absalom's methods were evil, sowing seeds of discord, pulling people away from the king. That's something David refused to do when Saul was king. He said, I'm not going to touch the anointed. He's the king. God has established him. My time will come. But he wasn't going to sow discord so as to set himself up and establish himself as king. That's what Absalom did. Setting up his own kingdom, pursuing David to kill him. David's prayer is only right. He says, God, stand in your justice and punish the wicked. At the end, though, David knew that it was all it was all in the Lord. So salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Again, we just see the the sovereignty of God coming here is that is that salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord is the one who gives salvation. In fact, this is the third time that salvation has been mentioned here in this psalm. Maybe you didn't notice the first one because it's mentioned in verse two, depending on your translation. The ESV is really good here. The NAS kind of hides it a little bit. But it says, many are saying of my soul, there's no deliverance for him in God. There's no salvation for him in God. Uh, the, the second time comes in verse seven. Arise, O Lord, save me. There's salvation. Verse eight, the third one comes here. Salvation belongs to the Lord. These all come from the same Hebrew word, yeshah, from which maybe you've heard the Jewish term called Yeshua. Yeshua Hamashiach. The Savior, Messiah, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Savior, which is the name Joshua, Yeshua, which is the name Jesus, which is why Jesus received his name. Matthew 121. And you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, 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 for he will Yeshua, 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 he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means salvation. And that's the same word we see all through. That's what Psalm 3 is all about. It's about the salvation of David in his trouble. It's about finding safety and security and salvation in the Lord in the time of trouble. And so I just say this: whatever's causing you to lose sleep, consider your your loss of sleep to be this big neon sign that says, There's your trouble. There's your trouble. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Your salvation out of that trouble is for the Lord. Whether it's financial difficulties, relational difficulties, illness, court problems, police problems, whatever. Salvation comes in the Lord. And just say this, seeking the Lord is the only way out. Now, you may be able to, whatever, by your human ingenuity, get, get, get out of that sin somehow or get out of that problem somehow. But I say the best way is the Lord, the Lord's ways. Let, let him work. Let him get you out. But I say this also, greater than any earthly problem is your problem of your sin before a holy God. I don't care what physical, financial, relational problem you have. Your sin before God is your ultimate problem that all of us will face when we stand before the Lord someday. When it comes to our eternal destiny, the only way out of that problem is going to be by seeking the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's only through Christ you'll know salvation. Peter said, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But the name of Jesus, the only way to be saved from God is through from your sins. It's through Jesus. Salvation comes only when you place your trust in Christ and His work on the cross, and trusting that your sins were nailed in His body on the cross, that you go free. So I just say to this church family, believe in Him and trust in Him. Especially your children. Some of you children don't really believe, don't really know. I just would exhort you to believe in Christ. He is where your salvation is. And that's a blessing that comes from God. And another blessing comes. The latter half of verse eight: Your blessing be upon your people. This is David's prayer. He says, "Oh God, you've got your people here in in Jerusalem, and we're we're in civil war now. But may your blessing be upon us, O Lord." It's easy to pray that for you guys. May may blessing be upon God's people. May blessing, O Lord, be upon your people. In fact, we've already seen this. So this is where Psalm two ends. We look at this last week, right? Psalm two, verse twelve: How blessed are all who take refuge in the sun. So blessing is going to come upon all people. It's going to come because, first of all, you are your people. You are people of God. Means you are seeking God. You do know Christ. He he is one who's going to bless you with favor. Apart from God's blessing, we are left to our own ways. With God's blessing, we know safety and security that God gives. But the only way is to be one of his people. Is to seek refuge in the Son. That his blessing might come. And I just say this, church family, in in the day of trouble, seek your safety and security in the Lord, who ultimately is the one who can save us from our sins through Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I pray for Psalm 3 to be true in us. I just know how how preaching on trials and difficulties and hardships of life always will ring a bell because troubles are always there in our life, big or small. Teach us in the small things to trust in You, Lord, that when the big things come, we will be practiced, that we can handle the big stage. So, God, thank You for the example of David who even was able to sleep When all was marching around Him. And help us in our day and age as well to to trust You when all around us falls and crumbles. Knowing that the house built upon the rock will stand. God, we want to build upon the rock. We want to build upon Christ. So help us, O Lord. Be with us. I pray You'd strengthen us this week. I pray, Lord, that we would be with people of the church this week. We'd encourage and strengthen and uphold. Father, for the glory of Christ. Amen.